Welcome to Bethel Cleveland's Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy today's message. For more information on this podcast and other resources, please go to BethelCleveland.com. Hello, everyone. It's good to be with you. You guys are hardcore. It took me like 15, 20 minutes to get here, longer than it usually does. Do you know how people are when they drive and they're scared? It's difficult stuff. <laughs> cool. Well, hey, I am really excited. I, I feel like God is up to something tonight. Does anybody else kind of feel like that? I'm just suspicious of him. I'm just suspicious of what he wants to do. I feel like on snowy nights... When it feels, <laughs> I got to the parking lot. I was like, did anyone get here? <laughs> Are we safe? <laughs> and to see so many of you guys here today and um, maybe some, who was here for the first time? I don't want to embarrass you, but not by accident. It's really cool. Welcome. I love your hair. It's very cool that you're here. Yeah. yeah. Oh, where, where? Right there. Welcome. My name's Jay. It's really nice to meet you. All right. Well, man. Like, I have 60 words flying through my head right now, guys. I've got so much, like, you know, what we're going to pull the trigger on, I don't even know tonight. It's going to be good, though. I'd like to go into some deep stuff with you, but first, um, yeah, we'll do this. Go ahead, and why don't you close your eyes and kind of put your hands in front of you, and um, I just want to pray. I know that the Holy Spirit's here. Who, Who felt the presence of God during worship tonight? Man, you guys have treasures here at this campus. Hmm. Jesus, we just invite your presence here tonight. Jesus, if you're not here, it doesn't matter. If you're not walking up and down the aisles tonight, God, then we're missing out. But thank you that you always do come. That all we have to do is say the name of Jesus. Put his name on your lips. Just say Jesus softly. You say his name and we become aware of his presence. Tonight, Jesus, I want to thank you that you're a near God. You are not far off. You are close. And tonight, I just pray that your presence would come in a way that would touch our hearts and affect change in the way that we process and do this thing called life. We didn't come for some cool word or even an emotional experience that we'd walk out the doors and leave the same, but we came to encounter the God whom it is impossible to stay the same once we see a new aspect of you. When you touch our hearts, we can't stay the same. So I just invite you tonight, Holy Spirit, just this easy so simple mm, sorry I have mint in my mouth that was really not anointed my mint click jeez I just had a couple prophetic words that I jotted down in my laptop that I thought if I had if there was a grace if there was a vibe in the room and I felt permission from the Holy Spirit to deliver some of these words I wanted to um The first one was for um, Pastor Todd and Nancy Roberts. Can you guys show them some love tonight? 
I feel like this might not even be a prophetic word, so forgive me if it's just an observation. <laughs> Hold me accountable after, Pastor. Um, you look around and the way that the spirit flowed in the room tonight and the way that we experience it here every time I come in, it feels effortless, right? It feels like it's just something that naturally happens. But the truth is, there's a lot of meticulous details that are intentionally made in this room and the way we structure these services for this flow to happen and to experience this environment, not as a hot, a hot pocket moment, <laughs> or you know what I mean? Like something in the microwave that feels hot for a minute, you know, but something that is sustainable means that there's intentionality with heaven and with the facilitators, the, our, the conduit, the partners on earth, whatever you wanna say, and Pastor Todd and Nancy, I just wanted to say that I felt the pleasure of the Father on both of you tonight. The, the faithfulness and what you steward here to make this what it is, he's pretty proud. Mm. I just saw during worship, I have pictures. You guys have an active imagination in worship. Or do you think you're just ADD and you're thinking about other things? Let me tell you, if you feel like you're ADD in worship, it's probably because you have an imagination that the Holy Spirit wants to breathe on and you can and he can speak to your imagination, right? So like when we're kind of untethered and thinking about movies or food or something like that, it's not because you have some disorder or disability. It, I believe it's a, um, a, a provoking, a calling, something on the inside of you that says you're a dreamer. You're an imaginer, you're a creator, just like him, you're created in his image. And um, so I had a couple pictures tonight. One of them, when Jessica got up here to prophesy, um, it's hard to describe, but if you ever, if you could picture a flame not attached to a wick, but being blown around in the wind, like those, I don't know what they're called, but those seeds that spin, what are they? <laughs> I don't, 20 birds, whatever. I don't know what they are. <laughs> but I saw, but I saw that and I saw Jessica, like I, I didn't see your face in it, but I saw you like represented in that, that, and, and I was like looking at my, in my imagination, obviously, you know, I was looking and I was like, where's the fire? Where's the source? And it was just a blazing inferno at the bottom. And um, felt like God said, it's because Jessica's tapped in to a self-sustaining resource in the presence of God, that there's not like this put log on the fire, put log on the fire thing for you but it's like, it's a faithful, self-sustaining, like almost a clean energy thing happening. You know what I mean? That you've, um, so many people come before God and they're giving him their sacrifices. They're giving him their sin and their burdens and their worries. And we're supposed to do that by the way. But it says, because we are supposed to cast all our cares and anxieties on him. Why? Because he cares for us. Scripture, boom, legal. Um, but I felt like so many people, we stop at the sacrifice. We stop at the sin. We stop at that offering. We're giving him flesh, but he wants the oil. And I feel like you're, you're, that, you're that box that's been broken open and the oil's been set on fire and it's given off a fragrance and it's amazing. So I don't know, I just see you stepping into some new things. Um, I see you stepping in, everyone says greater authority or this, and we kind of attach that to a church identity, like on a microphone or a preaching thing, but that cheapens it, it's deeper than that. God's doing something in you of eternal recalibrating significance. It's not just gonna be something that affects you on the earth, it's something that's gonna carry through. He's speaking like foundational things to you. Yeah, cool, I could keep going, but I won't. I'll give you more later, because <laughs> there's more. Um, there's always more. Yep, I'm not allowed to do that one yet, but I will later, promise. 
Um, and then the last thing I just wanted to say, because I do have a lot of, a lot of meat to get in with you tonight. We're going we're gonna to go to it. Um, how many of you guys like being cold? Nobody? <laughs> Am I alone? I hate, I hate being cold. It's the worst thing ever. Um, and I just, in worship tonight, and the reason why I asked Pablo to even come back up and play is, um, have you ever woken up in the morning and you didn't want to get out of bed? Not just because you're tired, but because you're like, because I'm going to be cold. Or you're on vacation, or you're in the pool, and you're used to the water, and you're like, I don't want to get out of the pool because then I'm going to be cold. I, w- I just had this sense like when worship ended, like this holy sorrow <laughs> in my heart. I didn't want it to be over. It just felt so good to be in that presence. And I, and I was asking, I was like, Jesus, could you just stay? Could we just stay here in this moment with you tonight? Could we enjoy this type of presence for the rest of this evening? And I think he said yes, I hope. <laughs> but um, tonight I'm talking about being stronger together. And Pablo, I'm going to give you an out, man. If you want to keep playing for the whole sermon, I love it. If you don't want to, you can take a break, and I'll call, I'll call again at the end of service. It's up to you. It's in your power. Ball in your court. <laughs> um, I take no responsibility for this after this. Um, <laughs> so let's talk about being stronger together. I had God has been speaking to me a lot over the past couple days regarding this. Even specifically, I have a, a dear friend of mine who is um, fighting cancer right now, and they are um, housebound for six months to a year, depending on how their treatment goes. But there's just been so many incredible testimonies happening. They said it was advanced, it was in stage three or stage four. They couldn't even do chemotherapy because, I mean, be, because they had to do, no, I'm flipping that inside out. They wanted to do chemotherapy, they wanted to do surgery, but they couldn't. There you go. I promise, get my brain unscrambled here. Um, So they had to do chemo first because it was so advanced that they couldn't do the surgery like they would have liked to. And so we're about two to three months in on the treatment and she called me and said, Jay, they can't find any masses in me. Like they did did physical exams and, and then they're doing scans and they said that it's actually, they don't even see it in the scans anymore. They're just going through the treatment now because they wanna make sure that, they, that they're covering their bases because they can't explain why it's so aggressive. They gave her this medicine um, that was in two red vials and she said that she called it her communion as a joke. She'd say, oh, they're bringing in my communion. You know, she's totally like that, praying for people. Um, and come to find out about a month in on this treatment, it's not called communion in the medical community. It's called the devil's potion because it makes you so sick. And she has not been sick. I mean, that's incredible, right? That's amazing. And so we're having these deep conversations about like, well, what are you doing? What's happening here other than, you know, miracle? What are the steps and how are you structuring your life right now to facilitate and hold this miracle? And um, I mean, there's a lot of reasons, but to be, truth be told, this is just a lady who has always heard from the presence of God. Before it was popular, before anybody knew about it, she had a shelf in her house where she would put words and, and things that she thought that she'd heard from the Lord and then um, had pastors and people with prophetic anointing call out her shelf and talk about those things to her. So she's had decades of stewarding the word of the Lord over her life. And the thing that we kind of started talking about was so many people when they face a struggle and they face a difficulty or an illness, 
our first response is isolation, right? But being stronger together, I wish I was wearing the hoodie, but I couldn't. <laughs> wore it last night, and then I wore it this morning. I was like, I can't justify preaching in this hoodie in front of you guys. <laughs> it is cozy. But um, being stronger together took me all the way back to when, about the garden. When you talk about Adam and Eve, they were created for connection. And maybe being stronger together, because when we say that and we say stronger together, I think that we're church wired to start to think about how, how that ties to our productiveness in the kingdom or what we can accomplish or do for him, right? We're stronger together so that we can pull more weight. Every scripture that gets referenced when you hear that phrase is one can put a thousand to flight, two put 10,000 to flight. And when we think about oxen pulling carts, the natural thing that flips into our mind is work. And so we tie being stronger together to something that's utilitarian instead of something that is part of our cellular makeup and our DNA that God created you and me for connection with him. We were made for connection. When he created Adam, he gave him, everything was at his disposal. And yet he still said, it's not good for man to be alone. And so God existing as the Trinity is proof. Sorry. Sorry. I promise I won't go like totally like I don't want to say any church names, but I won't go like, and God said, existing as the Trinity. Oh, I feel God existing as the Trinity is proof that health is reflected and uniting together and being stronger together because we're created in his image. And I know that I've been on this soapbox with you guys for a year now. This is what I talk about every time I come, but you're just going to have to get over it because it's important to me that you understand this, that relationship exists on earth because it first existed within God. There is a reason that there is the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's not just one. There's three distinct individuals existing as one person. Don't ask me to explain it. I'll give you the apple metaphor, skin, fruit, seeds, the sun, heat, light, warmth. You can dress it up however you want, but relationship exists within God. So out of the overflow of that relationship, because you see, because relationship exists within the Trinity, he's not creating us out of a, out of a depth of need. He's not creating us because he needs us to worship him, to validate his own existence or to prove his own power or to stand in front of us and feel all pumped up. God exists and is utterly satisfied within himself. So out of the overflow of that relationship, of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit in that, that love and that connection and what healthy relationship was never created, always there. But whatever that is, try to think about eternity. You'll black out before you get there. I've tried. But um, with the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, that relationship exists. Because if it didn't, and if it was just one God, then that meant that he created us out of a need. And that means when you and I inevitably fail and don't meet those needs, that he's gonna try to fill that need either somewhere else or to get it from us, right? And if we don't wanna give it willing, then what happens? Is he gonna use his power to get it? Is he gonna manipulate it out of us? If, if, if relationship didn't exist within himself, then when we didn't meet the expectation, what would happen? But if God created us out of the overflow of who he was, then that means that we were created in love 
to experience his presence and to be invited to join the family and to be included in that relationship. And that means that the pressure is off, that God created you and me to experience him and understand what it likes to be loved. And if that's true, then that means we have a model for what relationships should look like. We have a model for how we can live our lives within God and himself. It's why in, in, in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve, everything about right and wrong, their entire worldview was founded in their connection and relationship with God. It even says in the word that God would come in the cool of the day and talk with them. And can you imagine the questions they might ask? But Adam and Eve existed in this perfect paradise with God and all of their opinions and all of all truth was summed up in a person. So there was no confusion until, until that day where they tasted of the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And that is the age old lie, isn't it? It never changes. That point moving forward, all of humanity is always struggling and feeling the same thing. We wanna be our own gods, masters of our own destiny and deciding what's right and wrong for us, right? That lie, you can find it in every cultural construct, in every civilization, the idea that we can be our own gods and as evidenced by humanity's propensity for destruction <laughs> on ourselves. It's not working yet. <laughs> but what if being stronger together isn't about being just productive or workhorses for God? What if it's about being a son and a daughter? What if it's about fulfilling our divine purpose? The flip side of that coin, Proverbs 18.1 says, a man or person who isolates himself seeks his own desire and he rages against all wise judgment. I wanna dive into something, this is gonna sound depressing at first, so just bear with me, okay? I promise there's a big up curve coming out of this, I hope. I looked up the health risks of loneliness. <laughs> Can I read you this? Okay, do I have your permission? Jesus, Shabakum, cover them with your presence and glory so that they don't feel depressed after I read this. Okay. Um, Honestly, there's a lot of studies that they say it's kind of hard to measure this, but what they found, in, and this is from the CDC and a bunch of reputable websites, social isolation. I find that ironic too, by the way, right? That the, the negatives of, never mind, I won't go there. Um, but social isolation significantly increased a person's risk of premature death from all causes. They said this is rivaling more than smoking, obesity, and physical inactivity. I'm at least one of those three. I'm kidding. <laughs> Social isolation was associated with about a 50% increased risk of dementia. Poor relationships characterized by social isolation or loneliness was associated with a 29% increased risk of heart disease and a 32% risk of increased stroke. Loneliness was associated with higher rates of depression, anxiety, and suicide. And loneliness, get this, among heart failure patients was associated with a nearly four times increased risk of death 
68% risk of hospitalization, and 57% risk of emergency department visits. It is, there is no argument. Loneliness is not good. The science backs it up. And you wanna know why the science backs it up? It's because God created it that way. Science is the discovery of what God has made, why it works. And so looking into that, I was so curious about what kind of language we have in the 21st century about um, what kind of language do we have to describe what happens in the body now, right? When we, when we experience ancient truths that maybe the people in the Bible didn't even understand because I don't even know, Todd, you're a theologian. They know about organs or any of that stuff. I mean, like, unless they saw it. I mean, okay. <laughs> I don't know. They were starting to get there, right? <laughs> but, like, they didn't know. And now we can dig into it and find that out. So come along with me. Stick with me. John 5. I've heard this scripture four times in the past three days. One from my friend who's fighting cancer. One from Joel when I was traveling with him. Another from a person at a church that I was ministering at this weekend. And then this morning, Jerry talked about it on the microphone at um, Brunswick. So I wanted to read you about, about the um, man healed at the pool of Bethesda. And I'm going to touch on some stuff tonight. I hope that's okay. But I think it'll bring freedom to you. If it makes you uncomfortable, good. I'm kidding. <laughs> I mean that in all love. I'm kidding. Um, so John 5, after this, there was a feast of Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there in Jerusalem, by the sheep gate, a pool, which is called in Hebrew Bethesda, having five porches. And in these lay a great multitude of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at certain times into the pool and stirred up the water. Then whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water, was made well of whatever disease he had. Now there was a man there who had an infirmity for 38 years. And when Jesus saw him laying there and knew that he had already had been in that condition a long time, Jesus asks him an interesting question. He says, do you want to be made well? Isn't that an interesting question to ask? He's been waiting for 38 years. He even goes on to tell Jesus, I mean, and I won't do it in modern language, but I was like, yes, I'm, I've been trying to get in for 38 years. <laughs> and every time I try to, somebody gets in before me. And Jesus said, rise and take up your bed and walk. But I thought that there was an importance for that question. Do you want to be healed? Is it possible that there's things in your life, whether it's illness or whether it's hurt, wounds that people have given you from past relationships, maybe words people have spoken over you, wherever your pain is, sometimes, sometimes people become accustomed to being in pain. They like the attention that it brings them. I have someone in my life who's been sick a really long time. But they don't, they don't want to be better. Why? Because they were destroyed by their father growing up. And they feel that nobody would really love them outright for who they were. So an illness is the perfect leverage to get the connection that they feel they are unworthy of. Am I talking to somebody tonight? Any of those pains, 
any of those things that get you attention or even adrenaline rush? Listen, there are people in this room tonight. I'm sorry, I'm not trying to call out your business and I won't do names, I promise. But um, there are people here tonight, you always go on about how you're overwhelmed. You talk about it all the time, but you like it. You like being overwhelmed. You like it. Why? I don't know. Maybe because it makes you feel important that a lot of people are calling or needing you. Or maybe because you like to be so busy. Because if you're busy, then you don't have to actually take stock and inventory of your life and start to assess where am I and what do I really want to be doing. Or maybe you're just afraid that if you were to invest everything you were into what you're passionate about and what God is asking from you, that you would fail. So it's just safer to be overwhelmed with a bunch of frivolous other things than it is to actually get quiet and own your journey. Sorry. <laughs> Am I talking to somebody tonight? Well, let's flip to a positive note, eh? Okay. <laughs> let's talk about the benefits of um, connection. <laughs> Would that be good? Is that okay? Uh, we're going to heal you up. I'm sorry. If you're a little pain, if you're hurt a little bit, promise, promise. God, God's going to kiss it. The presence of God's going to come. I love you. You love me. Sometimes truth is sandwiched in love and the bread's delicious, but that meat is hard to chew. But man, after you digest it, it helps. It, it does a body good. Come on, let's be real. Do you really want to walk out these doors feeling like that for the rest of forever? I know you don't. I don't. Okay, let's talk about good things though, eh? Um, social connections. They help relieve harmful levels of stress, which can give you heart attacks, can impact your gut function, insulin regulation, and the immune system. All of that stuff is positively impacted by connection. There's even a study in Sweden that they just finished up. People 75 and older, like their dementia risk was lowest with people who had a lot of friends and connections. Listen, the benefits of, like, social connection and good mental health are, like, there's too many for me to even list for you. I mean, the proven links show that, like, you have lower rates of anxiety and depression, higher self-esteem, greater empathy. You care more about people. You're more trusting and cooperative in your relationships. You have strong, healthy relationships and can also help, they can help strengthen your immune system, helping you recover from disease and lengthen your life. Come on. Could it possibly be that my friend isn't dying from cancer anymore? Not just because they believe in the healing power of God, but maybe because they haven't shut themselves up in a hole of despair and decided that it was their time to die, but that they were going to continue to live and declare the works of the Lord. Hmm. We are created to be in healthy relationships that are focused towards connections. Okay, are we friends enough that I can go into another thing with you? Is that okay? I promise this will, okay, we're good. Am I good on time? Do I need to run? Okay. <laughs> I understand if you don't want me to pray for you later, okay? I'm kidding. Um, many people, let's talk, but, uh, but this is, this is I, wanna, I wanna touch on this. I wanna touch on these pressure points because I believe that the release that's gonna come out from this, like this isn't just something that like, you're gonna say, oh, Jay was funny. <laughs> I mean, like it's gonna be like, this is something that can like change your life. This, I mean, do you understand that? When Allison was up there singing tonight, I forget what you said, where is she? I don't even know where she is. But she said something like Jesus, 
it's going to sound silly to say it, that you make the darkness tremble or just some kind of like matter of fact line. And I got shook inside me and I thought, man, how many times, like even if we're inviting people to come into relationship with Jesus, that we're just, we're trying to like invite them to be part of a social club or we're just trying to like speak a blessing over them and we lose the truth that what, that the cross is still as powerful today as it was on the day that Jesus died on it. And that when we speak things about who he is in the nature of God or when we sing something in worship that it's not the success isn't feeling something in the room the success isn't feeling something change or shift in us the success is already decided because Jesus already won so when we declare who he is power is released not because we did it super good we don't have to puff it up or make it better than it is he is who he is and he hasn't changed yet and he says he is never gonna change but the angels you know the angels still for the ent- all of eternity. They're still going around the throne discovering something they haven't seen before. They, they've been doing this forever. It's not like there was a moment of birth for, I mean, the creation for them. Yeah, but you know what I mean? Like, so they're just going around the throne discovering something new about him every moment because he's incomprehensible. Mm. But a lot of people, and this is where we're going to get into the stronger together theme, I promise. This is where we're at. We're going to get into the stronger part, stronger together. But you can't be stronger together if you're not really connecting with people. You can't be stronger together if you're existing in an illusion of connectivity. And that's where so many people live. You could probably observe a lot of different people that you would say are pretty well connected. They look like they have a lot of great friendships and you believe that they're a thriving person. You'll jump on Instagram and feel bad about yourself when you look at their profiles and be like, oh my gosh, look at their vacation. They've got lots of money and blessing. God's breathing life over them. Ugh, like it, dislike, like it. You know, just scroll away. Oh no, there's another celebrity. Why do I follow these people? Unfollow, well, I like what follow you go through all of that but I think sometimes we just exist with people's highlights right we exist and if you were to really follow into someone's life because I know you have people in your life like this you talk to them and you're like you've got a great personality for the most part you're pretty awesome and you seem to have a lot of friends around you and you're pretty cool. You've got a great sense of humor. And they tell you, I am so lonely that I don't even know if I really want to be on the planet. And our mind's blown by that because we see all the externals. We see all that. But underneath all the layers and all the titles, it doesn't mean anything if we have a thousand acquaintances, but no one really knows us. We're gonna get a little more deeper into this before we really, we're gonna strike gold tonight in your heart. I'm sorry if you cry, but I'm not. Okay. Becoming stronger together requires a renewing of the mind. Romans 12, one through two, hear this in the Passion Translation. It's gonna blow your eyebrows off your forehead. It says, beloved friends, what should be our proper response to God's marvelous mercies? I encourage you to surrender yourselves to God, to be his sacred living sacrifices, and live in holiness, experiencing all the delights 
of his heart, for this becomes your genuine expression of worship. So stop imitating the ideals and the opinions of the culture around you, but be inwardly transformed by the Holy Spirit through a total reformation of how you think. This will empower you to discern God's will as you live a beautiful life, satisfying and perfect in his eyes. Why? Because true connection and partnership requires trust. And trust can only live and exist in an atmosphere of vulnerability. And that's where we stop. You can write this down. I thought people can write this quote down. I like this. Because vulnerability wielded in the wrong spirit becomes a weapon instead of a tool. So it's scary to be vulnerable. Because when I tell you what hurts me, when I tell you what matters to me, you have the choice to build me up with that or you can destroy me. You can, you can take me down. Now, hear me out. I understand that there are relationships and situations where the most loving response is to set boundaries and set clear expectations on what's expected and, and what a loving and honorable relationship looks like. But how often do we use those one-off painful relational disappointments to govern our approach towards building new connections and strengthening old ones? Proverbs 9.10 says, The beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Have you ever thought about that, about why? It's because if you don't fear the Lord, you're going to fear everything else. I don't know if you're hearing me. If you don't fear the Lord, you're going to fear everything else. If you fear God, he's the biggest, baddest kid on the playground. <laughs> Nobody is going to mess with God. Nobody is going to mess with his kids. He's all powerful. He doesn't have a competition. People try to paint out the devil to be his adversary. He's not an adversary. He's like a, I don't want to call him names. But um, think about it. If you fear the Lord, if he's the center of our affection and trust, then we have power in his presence to overcome any fear. It says in 2 Timothy 1.7, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. So if we were created for connection with God as the object of his affection and the center of his creative genius, and if we we're fearing every inferior power in our life instead of focusing all of our, our attention on heaven's superior brand of fear, which says in the Passion Translation that the starting point for acquiring wisdom is to be consumed with awe as you worship Jehovah God and to receive the revelation of the Holy One. Are we making fear an idol in our life? Are we elevating the devil's ambitions for our life over God's? Because that's really what fear is. Fear is the prophecy of the enemy. It's, it's, it, if you look at what you're afraid of and when you're most anxiety-filled and anxiety-ridden, it is when you are imagining a future where you are on your own having to exist outside of God's provision. How often when you're fearful of a circumstance, you picture God there? I'd probably say never, because if you start to picture God, you can't help but have hope and faith begin to rise up on the inside of you. And you can't help but, get, but to, to start to say, okay, maybe God is going to come in and intervene here. Or how can I orient my life to, um, to make room or space for this? 
You see, when we govern our life from fear, we don't include God in our plans. We're simply falling for the enemy's most ancient lie again. The lie is that we, it's not necessarily that we're putting fear on the altar. It's that we're, we're putting ourselves on the throne of our lives. We're taking that, for all of us who judge Eve, <laughs> every time we decide to make our own decisions about what's right and good outside of God's nature, we are eating the fruit. And if you were to rewind in paradise, we can't have judgment because we make the same, we make the same decisions. So you see, fear isn't the idol. We just put ourselves on the throne when we live in fear instead of the Lord. So how do we pull this together? Well, when we live our day in day out lives from a mindset of fear and in isolation, our root motivation in both of these frames of mind is self-preservation. I'm gonna read some, have, how many of you have read Danny Silk's Unpunishable book? Anybody in the room? If you haven't, I wish I would have brought copies. Change your life. Yeah, I know, Rachel, you're awesome. Don't you love Rachel, guys? Man, sorry. Sidebar, do I have time for this? Yeah? When we were, um, me and Rachel met when I, we were both working at Chick-fil-A. I'm sorry to, to drop that and let everyone know. Um, we were working at Chick-fil-A together and um, I heard her singing under her breath and then she had her audition. I was like, we have Adele at Bethel Cleveland. You know, and like just to kind of see like the journey that you're on, Rachel, gosh, it's almost like God put your feet on like, sorry, image is coming here and take this the right way. But like how they burn witches at the stake. It's like God put you on a bale of hay and he lit it up on fire and you just keep giving off all this fragrance. And, and man, if God were to say something over you tonight, it would be that he's just getting started. The engine's just started. He's just, he's just getting started with you. Um, next five years of your life, um, hold on your head because you're going to get whiplash if you don't. Because it's going to be amazing. I heard the Lord say, buckle up. <laughs> five years is going to be crazy. You're gonna see amazing things happen. Okay, back to here. All right, um, I love you too. Self-preservation is the key motivation. So of the punishment paradigm, I just wanna to touch on this briefly and then we're gonna, we're gonna dive in and I believe that the Holy Spirit's gonna heal all these things. If you felt like a little pang or a thing in your heart, first of all, good. Um, third of all, he's gonna get, get you. God's gonna get you in all the best ways. So um, the punishment paradigm, it could be summed up as being motivated by punishment and shame. You see, we are attempting to hide and remain small targets through good behavior. And we are operating with like a goal of self-preservation. So this begins at a young age. We, we do something wrong and we are disciplined, which in a lot of our cases growing up is inflicting some form of pain or taking something away from us. So we lost power, control, and freedom. We felt intimidated or controlled or scared. And then um, our response isn't to fix what we did wrong, but to avoid punishment. And there's the punishment paradigm that so many of us get trapped in that we exist in. We either become really stellar rule followers to cover up our deficiencies, or we um, rebel and push against all the rules and the expectations. But all of those are about self-preservation. Either response isn't motivated by change. It's rooted in fear. So in this paradigm, while we're talking about it, 
because this is what I believe the, the real tender spot that I've been journeying you to tonight that I feel like God wants to heal in you tonight. I want to talk to you about shame. Adam and Eve learned it when they turned away from the relationship with God and ate the tree of the knowledge of good and evil because they wanted to be their own gods. When they ate, they instantly became ashamed because they realized they were naked. Think about this. Who made them out of the dirt? Who breathed life into them? Who doesn't even look at them probably with the same eyes that we do? You can probably see like all the, the DNA strands and like if he wants to, just like the bones, like x-ray vision, God. I mean, he could see whatever he wants to see, but it's just so interesting that the first response wasn't just shame, but it, it was rooted in that we no longer feel safe to be vulnerable and open with God anymore. So we close the vulnerability door because you don't, you don't ever hear anybody apologize in the garden for what happened. All you hear is blame shifting. And even when they're leaving the garden, you don't hear an I'm sorry or I wish this wasn't happening. There wasn't repentance because vulnerability was closed off. I don't trust my, I don't trust it to be vulnerable in front of you anymore. And so now I don't have a basis of trust in our relationship because I don't have a basis of trust. I don't have the courage to approach you and ask you for your forgiveness because I'm too afraid that you're going to reject me because I've already rejected myself. So the walls went up. God's not intimidated. He's not scared of your walls tonight. But Brene Brown, this quote, I love this. It says, shame is the fear of disconnection. It's the fear that something we've done or failed to do, an ideal we've not lived up to, or a goal that we've not accomplished makes us unworthy of connection. Shame is the intensely painful feeling or experience of believing that we are flawed and not worthy of love and belonging. Once shame and fear introduce vulnerability is the first thing that goes flying out the window. And without vulnerability, there can't be authentic trust because there's no more intimacy in the relationship. So in the paradigm of punishment, fear, and shame, I'm no longer giving you permission to see me as I actually am. You're only gonna see the parts of me that I allow you to see. And if I'm really damaged, then you'll never actually know that. And you'll just see the good that I allow you to see until you begin to understand that the distance and the relational disconnect you feel isn't because we haven't spent time together or we're busy. It's because I'm actively keeping you at an arm's length to protect myself from vulnerability. But this also means that now I'm officially a Proverbs 18.1 person. I'm raging against wise judgment because I'm not aligning my life with the enemy's intention. I'm aligning my life with the enemy's intention to steal, kill, and destroy. I'm making myself weak by isolating myself from true relationship and connection because it doesn't just stop with the people around you. If you start to allow that toxicity to, to pollute your life, then you start to translate into your relationship with God and you start to wonder, maybe God isn't pleased with me. And you start to hear the lies of the enemy or maybe God is really disappointed in me or maybe because I failed over and over again that the grace of God has run out in my life or maybe because I'm not accomplishing what I thought I would or my life isn't unfolding the way that I specifically imagined in the perfect steps that I created in my brain that somehow I am I am not worthy of connection with the Lord anymore so I have to exist as half a person And that is what living in shame is and is where the enemy wants you to live. He wants you to stay in shame because people who live in shame will always be a shell of themselves.
They're never able to fully open or experience vulnerability or connection. And, and, and when they can't experience that, then that means they don't experience joy. They don't experience, they don't experience fulfilled life. They can't give themselves to other people. So they exist in this selfish closed room of their, of their own making with walls built up with the words that people have said about them or fears of what, pe- what they think people have said about them or feel about them. And they exist in this closed off, isolated space. It's lonely. That's isolation. It's not when the CDC tells you wear a mask or stay in your house. I know that's not fun. But real isolation is when fear replaces connection. Wolves. I'll look this up. Sorry. This is the last depressing bit of it, I promise. It's the perfect example in the animal kingdom of this principle. Wolves attack the weakest in the herd. You see that that weak animal in the herd is isolated, can't keep up. And it makes them a different kind of vulnerable, not the kind that makes them bond with their team, it makes them vulnerable to the enemy. Because you see, if you're choosing not to be vulnerable with each other or with the Lord, you're still vulnerable, but just to the enemy now. chew on that <laughs> so so how do we adjust how do we begin to build healthy relationships with God each other from a posture of trust and vulnerability I hear it I, I can hear a bunch of people I, I'm, I'm not a crazy person I promise but I, I can perceive that there is some people in the room tonight saying but Jay you don't know my story you don't know what my dad said about me you don't know what happened in my marriage when it fell apart you don't understand the depths that I've actually been hurt you don't you, do, you didn't see you weren't there you don't know so I, I have to put up these walls to protect myself because I'm not surrounded by people who are going to love and value me you are tonight 1 John, I want to read this, this passage to you. And we're going to go into some ministry time. Those who are loved by God, that's you, by the way. How many times you read a scripture, you just let it flow over your head because you've heard it too many times and you're no longer letting the power of the word settle into your spirit because it sounds familiar or religious. That's you. He's addressing you. Let his love continually pour from you to one another because God is love. Everyone who loves is fathered by God and experiences an intimate knowledge of him. The one who doesn't love has yet to know God, for God is love. And the light of God's love shined within us when he sent his matchless son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love. He loved us long before we loved him. It was his love, not ours. He proved it by sending his son to be the pleasing sacrificial offering to take away our sins. Delightfully loved ones, if he loved us with such a tremendous love, then loving one another should be our way of life. No one's ever gazed upon the fullness of God's splendor. But if we have love for one another... God makes his permanent home in us and we make our permanent home in him. And his love is brought to its full expression in us. And he's given us his spirit within us so that we can have the assurance that he lives in us and that we live in him. 
Moreover, we've seen with our eyes and can testify the truth that Father God sent his son to be the savior of the world. I don't care what words you've spoken over yourself tonight or what words any enemy has spoken over you tonight. There is one who has the first word and he will have the final word if there ever is one. And he's in here tonight and he's in this room tonight. That culture of shame that you've been living under is no longer legal and no longer binding. So if it's all right with you, if you want freedom from this, I'm not asking for a response to make anybody feel good or whatever. I'm just asking as an activation for you so that when you walk out these doors, sometimes taking a step activates something in us. If you've been living in shame and fear and disconnection and you wanna to repent to the Father for that, that's the first step is reconnection with him. I believe that if you will come up to this altar tonight, he will meet you there. Come on, don't you give up on me. I believe he'll meet you right up here tonight. That it, it, You're saying that it's not gonna be different. You're just gonna come up and have an experience and stay the same. It's not, this is different. This presence, this moment is different in your life. And if that's you, I'm the, I don't even invite you. Just get up out of your seat and come up down here and whatever you're comfortable with as far as distancing, all that jazz, go ahead. But come and fill this altar. And I want you to, to get on your face before the Lord or kneel before him and 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 experience this connection. He wants to reconnect you right now. This is so good. I'm a patient guy, sorry. I'm not trying to say everyone's in shame. You're good, but, but for real, don't walk out these doors. The only reason you should be staying in your seat is if you're living in the power and the glory of God and shame isn't a part of your portion. Any other reason isn't good enough. Hmm. Yeah. It's so good. This is what we came for. This is what we came for. If you're comfortable, would you just stand with us and extend a hand up to the front here right now with me? Yeah. Hmm. We're stronger together. Can we get um, some of the Akron ministry teams to come up and, and pray for some of these folks up here? BSSM students, BSSM alumni. We're just gonna let the Holy Spirit do his thing. Is that cool? And then if, if you're comfortable, I'll, I'd love to give some prophetic words to people while these people are getting ministered up here. Like anybody in the room, if you need to go, you can go, but I, I think God's not finished here yet. The song Reckless Love popped into my head when I was driving here tonight, and I looked up the definition, 
in the definition of reckless, which offends a lot of religious folk when they hear that in a song because they go, God's not reckless. But the definition is without thinking or caring about the consequences of an action. God loves us recklessly. Whatever the cost was. He didn't hold back a single thing. He gave it all. He gave it all. He loved you recklessly. So we reconnect with the Father and then we love and run towards God and each other and we repent for believing the lie that sh of shame that we're unworthy of connection. Because how could that be when the God who framed the universe gave everything to have a connection with you? God wants to break off shame, isolation, and empower you tonight because we are stronger together, stronger with each other, and stronger with a true connection with the Father. So Jesus, in your mighty name tonight, God, Everything that binds us was decided at the cross. Every burden, every worry, every sin, every separation was dealt with. You decided before any of us breathed a breath on this good earth that you were willing to pay any price, that you were willing to, without thought of what would happen to you, sacrifice the core of who you were, sending your son to die. You gave it all so that we could be connected. So tonight, thank you, Jesus, that what you're doing right now, the shame that you're breaking off, the fear, the rejection, the misperceptions about who you are, this is all bought and paid for by the blood of Jesus. It's all bought and paid for thousands of years ago and decided on a tree. At the mountain shaped like a skull. So tonight, If you wouldn't mind, would you just turn your faces up towards heaven? You, the ministry team, you keep doing your thing, but out in the room, turn your face towards heaven. If you're filled with the Spirit, would you sing out in the Spirit tonight? Just fill up, fill up this room with, with praise. All of a sudden, it doesn't matter how many people are in the room, but if He's here, if His presence is here, Calvary, you looked at me. On Calvary, you looked at me. Jesus, Jesus, how I trust you. And Jesus, Jesus, how we trust you. Just enjoy his presence. Let him do his thing. There's no shadow you won't 
So tonight, um, everyone just keep ministering and praying. But I just wanted to give an invitation that if you do not know Jesus and you'd like to give your heart back to him tonight, you might already be re-surrendering your heart at the altar tonight. But if, if there's anybody still in this room who, if you were to stand before the Lord tonight, that there would be a question mark about what that might be like, I want to encourage you. Um, this is not something that we're just trying to um, say will be a better life. This will be a transformational life. His presence is transformational. You will never be the same ever again. The presence and the love of God is, um, it's indescribable what it will do to you. Um, he is the most faithful, incredible friend. And if you feel it in your heart to give it back to him tonight, I just want you to put your hand over your heart and I'm going to pray. You don't have to say it after me like repetition. Just mean it in your heart. Jesus, the price that you paid on the cross, I believe created the bridge between me and the Father, and I want to ask that you would forgive me for every sin that I've ever committed, and I want to surrender my life to you. I want to open my heart to you tonight. God, that not one room in the heart, not in my heart would be off limits to you, but that you would inhabit every part of my heart, inhabit every part of my life, that this wouldn't be just a ritual or a religious prayer that I'm saying right now, but that it would be a connection between a God who knows me more intimately than anyone ever could and loves me more deeply than anyone ever will, that that God is who I'm speaking to right now and I'm inviting to not just come into my heart so that I feel like I'm not going to hell, but to come into my heart so that it changes me forever, that I would be a, a conduit of heaven on earth, that you would speak and breathe your power and fire through my life and that when I stand before you one day, I could say that worthy is the lamb and that he got the reward of his suffering, that everything in my life oriented towards giving him what he paid for. And that I'll spend the rest of forever worshiping him with all that I am. In Jesus' name. Rachel, if you just sing out prophetically right now, just anything you've got. Just sing over people. Re restoration, redemption, just maybe burdens God wants to lift. Yeah. And when Rachel sings it out, reach up your right hand and take it. good. Redeem. 
Fest, my new guy. What was your name again? Jason. Would you guys just stretch a hand? If you're not praying for someone, a friend, stretch a hand out towards Jason. Jason, I just felt that there was like a peace and a steadiness about you, man. Like that God has a real affection for you that's kind of special. And um, I don't know if you're dad. I'm not saying that you are or not, but just like there's a real sense of like a father's heart in you. And I know that you, that I felt like God was proud of you because he said that you reflected him, that in the way that he wants, he loves people, that you you reflect that in the way that you try, in your intentions, in the way that you treat the people around you, whether it's your kids or whatever that looks like, that you have a real father's heart and that there is a, a season where that's going to expand and blossom. And um, you're going to start to experience um, a, an expansion of the people that you're ministering to, that maybe people who are around you in everyday life are going to start to be impacted by that. There's going to be like a new authority rising up on the inside of you and a weight to your words. So even if you say something that to you is just second nature, or just basic, it's going to hold water in their life. It's going to hold weight. And so, Father, in the name of Jesus, right now for Jason, God, I just pray, would you just fill him up, God? Fill him up to the overflow, Jesus, that your presence and your peace and your restoration, and God, above all that Father's heart, I just pray that it would warm and, and light to fire and that it would create a, a place where people who feel unsafe and in the dark can gather around that light and experience the presence of God and be led to Jesus. So I just thank you for Jason's life. I thank you for every step in his journey that led him here tonight. And God, I pray that when he walks out these doors tonight, that it, you would just continue to speak that over him. That every step that he takes would lead him further in the destiny that you have over his life. And just pray that in Jesus' name. And then my red sweater in the back over there. Um, I, I just, I know this is so, like so silly to say, but like I see red sweaters and I always think fire. I always think like, you know, that God is like just like highlighting you. And I feel like, for you, man, that like God has painted a target on your back of blessing and that um, maybe that there's been a waiting or kind of a contending for breakthrough. I don't know if it's relational or financial or anything like that, but I just, I had a feeling like Holy Spirit went to highlight and he put his hand on your back. Well, and he said that there's a target painted on your back and that he is sending blessings to you like arrows into the night and it's going to hit the target on you and that you're going to experience it. You might feel like you've been waiting or contending for a long time, but I feel like he said, I've painted a target on your back and, and you couldn't get away even if you tried. That blessing's coming your way. It's like it says in Psalms 23, that his love and beauty will pursue you and chase after you every day of your life. And so those blessings, man, are coming. He said it's only a matter of time, and he's got the perfect timing ready, and there's a target on your back. So Jesus, let him come. Thank you. In Jesus' name. Yeah. Then Josh Fisher, is he back there? I'm going to do it. Wow, okay. I'm going to do it. If you're around Josh, just put your, your hand on him. I just, I, Todd was talking and I whipped out my laptop because I was like, I need to start writing the words that I'm seeing here. Um, he said that God was writing something on your heart. And so I, I, I saw, like during worship the whole time, Josh, I saw, I saw Jesus, like, I'm sorry, it was like a concert. He had his hair fanning backwards like there was a breeze and he had this huge smile on his face and he came over to you and man, oh God, it's overwhelming right now. Um, just, he put his hand on your shoulder and just like the admiration and devotion he feels towards you, man, it was 
was just overwhelming for me. And he put his hand on your heart. And it, you, this is weird, but it looked like you looked like you had a Frankenstein heart. There was a lot of stitches and it was red and it was dark. But like God put his finger at the bottom of it. And it, it, I'm not I'm not prophesying you had a dead heart, but I'm saying that like he put his finger on the bottom of it. And it's almost like there was a fire that lit up on the inside of it. And that your heart, we could see that there was flames internalized in it that were overtaking it. And it wasn't like an out of control fire. It was like a steady burning fire that was going to continue and go forever. It wasn't a flash in the pan. It was a sustaining fire that would be lighting up in your heart. And I, I saw the Lord putting his finger on different parts of your heart and touching it. And as he did, it would etch words into your heart. Oh, whoa. And, and the word that I saw, he put his hand in your heart and courage got written into your heart. And then he put it in and he put his finger and it said heat. And I'm not kidding. I'm not making these words up like they popped in. I'd have to squint in my, in my spiritual mind's eye to see these words. And they were written in stitches that he would put his hand in. It would be written into the fabric of your heart. One of them was loyalty. One of them was faithfulness. One of them was health. One of them was legacy. One of them was ignition. And you, he paused before this last one. And he looked at you right in the eye and he put his finger in your heart, man. And it said, purity. And then he flipped it over and he wrote, he wrote psalmist. And I'm not getting weird heaven stuff, okay? But maybe I am. But I just I felt like he said that you're going to be a minstrel in the courts of heaven. After like the, the new heaven and the earth and all this stuff fades away and everything's decided and settled and heaven's just thriving, existing, I don't know, on to the next world, whatever God does. Um, I'm not saying I believe that. But, but I felt, um, I just had this picture of you, man. You were in this white robe that had gold trim on it and you had this beautiful instrument. I'm not even sure what it was. It looked kind of like a guitar. And man, you'd stop and sing in the middle of the court and the angels just stopped to listen. So every time you lead here, I feel like God wanted to say to you tonight, whenever you step up on that stage to lead worship, whether you feel it or not, or whether you're struggling or not, or whether you're filled with joy or whatever is happening in you, he's saying that this is just the assignment. It's the assignment for now. But it's what you're going to do for eternity. So those songs that you're wanting to get out, man, you're going to write thousands of songs. Thousands. Jesus, surround them. God, we just thank you for his life, for Josh's life. And God, I just pray, like that song, I don't know what it is, but it says, please don't stop recreating me. God, would you put your hand on Josh's heart? Please don't stop writing new words on his heart until all we can see are the fingerprints and the words of heaven. If you want that word, you can claim it for yourself, too. Go ahead. <laughs> okay. Yeah. In Jesus' name. Daniel James, where are you at? There he is. Sorry, that's how I know you on Facebook. I don't even know your last name, if I'm being honest. <laughs> but, man, I, I saw you um, waving those flags, and... Um, 
yeah, it just moved me and felt like God was saying that like there is a real he, if he were to describe you to somebody when he talks to the angels about you you'd say that that's a, now there's a breath of fresh air there's a breath of my spirit I feel like you bring fresh wind wherever you go and man God is so pleased that you've kept it fresh so many of us we get a word from the Lord and we let it sit on the counter when we don't eat all of it and it just rots and we toss it out but I feel like God said you're a steward of those words and when he gives you something to eat that you put it in the fridge and you take care of it and you store that word and that you keep it fresh and that as a result of that he's going to continue to churn out those fresh words and those fresh encounters that there is there is a um, a new release over your life that when you ask him for something fresh that he's gonna it's gonna come up hot and piping and right away he's he's got a favor and a trust in you because you steward the words well yeah mm. yeah mm. yeah I'll do that one too where's Marissa Okay, start your hand out towards Marissa. Mar Marissa West in the back, if you know her. I, I just take it for granted everyone knows who I'm talking about. Sorry. Um, she's sitting in the back. Hmm. You know, people may look at Marissa and they see the water that she draws up. But if you were to come close, you were to really look at her you'd see that this is not a puddle that you're getting splashed from. This is a well. This isn't somebody who just um, got lucky and ca caught a bunch of rainwater in a bucket. This is somebody who has dug inch by inch, foot by foot until they hit water. And just like the woman at the well when Jesus said, you're gonna drink water and never thirst again. I feel like God has said, Marissa, your life and your desire and pursuit of his heart has created a well within yourself. And you can draw on that water of his presence and you can draw on that water of who he is for the rest of your life. And so Lord, in the name of Jesus, I pray, may that well always remain open. May that well never find a lid on it, but always be in use. Hydrating and satisfying the people around her. And Marissa, I felt like God wanted you to know tonight, your roots go deep. You know, some trees get blown over in high winds because they're too rigid and they can't adapt. And I think maybe you've thought of yourself as a tumbleweed or a piece of wheat or something in the wind because it feels like you bend sometimes. But I felt like God said, ah, you're a special kind of weird tree that, that can bend in the wind but has roots that go down for miles. Bearing fruit. So Jesus, would you just surround Marissa with the fresh new presence of God? Thank you, Jay. It's a great word. All right. Well, if you haven't figured it out, this is a safe place here. <laughs> so, Lord, we just thank you. We just see what you've done in our hearts tonight. As you continue to work in that place, Lord, we thank you. We thank you that all guilt, all shame, 
everything was removed at the cross. So we trust you in that, God. So as you heal our hearts, as you strengthen us to be who you've called us to be, we are just forever grateful for that. There is no shame in Jesus. There's no shame in Jesus. He's removed all that. Yeah. If you were to think of what would be left, there is nothing left, right? Because the Bible says that Jesus forgives our sin as far as the east is from the west. He, he separates it from himself. So God doesn't even remember what you've done. So why do we? <laughs> so Lord, we thank you that we're unpunishable in Jesus. So help us to quit beating ourselves up listening to lies. We thank you for settling in us who you are in us. Yeah, thank you, Lord. Yeah, yeah, in Jesus' name we pray.